Okay, I know I'm doing everything right, but I need something practical to help me. And the problem with them, I think, is, and for many of us in the same thing is this, is that prayer often doesn't feel practical, does it? it it's our last resort. They're, okay, I've, I've exhausted all my, every resource I have. Now let's pray. As a matter of fact, do me this favor. I know some of you hate it. We discussed it in class today. But I, 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 Q&A time real quick right here. Would you do me this favor? The people you're around, or if you're by yourself, you can talk to yourself if you want, whatever. It's all good. But would you do this? Uh, answer this question. I mostly tend to pray when I am blank, fill in the blank. So real quick, if you're around someone you feel comfortable with, share that uh, and answer that question. I, I mostly tend to pray when I am what? How would you fill in that blank? Take a second. And if you hate these questions, I'm going to be completely honest. If I was sitting in your seat, I would hate them too. I get it. Okay? My wife calls me out all the time about it. So, If I'm being honest with you, I mostly tend to pray when I've ran out of options or when I'm just really kind of at the end of my rope or when I feel um, sometimes just a heavy sense of guilt like, oh, I probably should have brought this to God and then I finally pray about it. Um, I don't know, a lot, of, a lot of you probably find the same way. Some of you maybe don't pray at all because you've done that before and it didn't turn out. It didn't work out like you expected, so, so why pray? The question we're going to look at is this, is, is do you see everything is prayer worthy? Everything in life is prayer worthy. Everything should be brought to God. I think of a situation when I was at a conference, uh, and a guy named Francis Chan, if you never heard of him, he's a well-known speaker and stuff, wrote the book Crazy Love, Forgotten God, a bunch of other stuff. And I was at a conference, and Francis Chan got up there to speak. And, uh, you know, I kind of heard about this guy, didn't know much about him, but he began to speak. And right whenever he's about to speak, he he pulls out his phone because he got a text, which is bad preaching etiquette 101. Don't pull out your phone and look at the text message you get right as you're I'm just kidding. Uh, right as you're, you're up there. And so he picks up his phone, and he just like, oh, wow. He's like, can we just, can we pray? And he began to pray over something that we didn't understand what he was praying about. And he began to tell a story about how they started a house church model, and they were walking around going apartment to apartment, like praying, like witnessing the people and stuff. And they knocked on one door, and at one of the doors, the guy opened up, and they're like, hey, we're just going around just seeing how we can pray for you. Is there anything we can encourage you with just to tell you about Jesus? And the guy's there, and, and he goes, uh, you can pray for my dog. And, the, and one, he said, one of the guys there is like, goes, what? He goes, yeah. He's like, okay, well, we'll pray for your dog. Was your dog sick? What's wrong? He goes, no, I just wish my dog was more ferocious. He's like, he's like, I live in a rough neighborhood, and I just, you know, it'd be nice if my dog was more ferocious. And, and so he said they had two of them, Francis Chan, another guy, and the one, he goes, Francis goes, I'll be honest, I was sitting there going, ferocious dog, are you kidding me? we got better things to pray for. He said the other guy with him was just praying, God, just let this dog be ferocious. Just let him be a, a beast. Let him just terrify people, you know, and begin to pray fervently over him and just, oh, that God would do something. And they walked around saying, that, that was weird. And they gave the guy his information and stuff like that. And strangely enough, the next day, the next day, the guy said, lo and behold, on, their door, on his doorstep, a Rottweiler puppy showed up. And he said for him, 
it, it was enough for him to say, maybe God answered that prayer. And he began to seek, and so he began to get interested and decided by, uh, began to ask questions and stuff. And so when we were at the conference there, Francis Chan had gotten a text from this guy that they'd prayed for. And he said, yoo-hoo, I just went and bought my first Bible, looking forward to learn more about God. It's amazing to see what can open up. Now the question I bring is this, is everything prayer worthy? James ultimately is going to say this in chapter 5, I think right here is this, and here's a big idea. Prayer is our best response in every situation. In every situation in life, prayer is the best and most appropriate response. So, so let's look at James chapter 5, verse 13 through 20, and see what it says. It says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is, is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He, he should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. You see, the prayer, the prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. See, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then, and then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced fruits. My, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The end. What a weird ending. To a letter. No goodbye, no catch you later. Hey, love you guys. Hope things are well. Just, that's it. What, what's going on here? He, he's talking about prayer, and I think the point he's getting across to reiterate is this. is prayer is our best response in every situation. Look how he starts. He says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. See, I want you to understand this. Prayer is for when you're feeling hopeless. When, when you feel like all is lost, prayer is an appropriate response. He says, when you're suffering, what should you do? Pray, pray. This word suffering, it implies misfortune. It implies circumstantial. When you're dealing with things in life that are beyond your control or whatever's going on, and you're just having trouble and you feel hopeless, guess what you do? You pray. Most of us, let's be honest, when we're doing that, that's probably when we do pray when we come to God, when things are just really struggling, when all comes to the end. And we come and pray, God, man, would you just deliver me? Would you do this? But when I read this, I asked the question, like, what do I pray for? Well, like when I'm suffering and circumstances happen in my life, I've been faithful, I've done everything right, whatever. And it's like, man, what do I pray for? Do I pray for deliverance? Because how often have we prayed for God to remove this burden and God doesn't do it? It makes me say, man, God, are you real at all? I, I, I earnestly prayed that you would do this and you didn't do it. Either there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with you. You see, I think there's a problem when we pray for deliverance. I don't think there's anything wrong. We can petition, ask God, trusting God's capable of doing it. But when we read Scripture and let Scripture interpret itself, what does James imply? Go back to James chapter 1 real quick. James chapter 1, verse 2. What, what does he say at the beginning? If James is interpreting his own words, what does he say? He says what? Considered it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience what? Various trials or difficulties. Be because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let the endurance have what? Its full effect. So you may mature and complete, lacking nothing. 
Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, what should you do? He should ask or pray to God who gives all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. You see, I think when you look at it, what James says, listen, when we go through trials, there's an aspect of perseverance, there's an aspect of endurance that's developed. And so when we pray for deliverance, sometimes God doesn't want us to be delivered because God's trying to mature and develop us in those situations. He's trying to let us know how much, how, how far we can possibly stretch and how much we can possibly do and sustain in the hands of a loving God. Prayer is not always coming and saying, get me out of the situation. It's saying, God, I just need wisdom to get through this. I need strength to endure. I, I need your goodness to get me through. Like, understand this. Listen, prayer is not an escape route, but a guide. It brings intentionality and direction to the journey. It lets me know how to get through it, what I need to do, and how to be faithful in those things. It's about finding purpose in every situation, that what's going on in your life is not always by accident. That sometimes God allows it in his sovereignty. Don't even say God's not an angry God that's just trying to punish, but God understands we live in a fallen world. And part of free will in the world is you have to allow free will to fully do what it's done. And sometimes God, as a loving God, has to let us endure and go through that, and God gives us the strength and wisdom to make it through. It's about finding purpose. I can't help but think of examples in Scripture when Jesus is going through Samaria, a town that most of the time Jews would go around because they hated Samaritans. And he goes to a well because he's thirsty. He's by himself. Imagine his situation thinking, man, why am I going through this no-good town? I'm so thirsty. I'm so miserable. He's there. And what happens? Man, God took him to a place that a woman at the well came and talked to him and began to have a spiritual, a heart-loving conversation with him. You see, it's easy to look at a situation like, man, God, why don't you get me out? But God used that for a purpose. I, <clears throat> I can't help but think of a situation of like a, in Scripture you have Paul and Silas who are thrown in jail for faithfully preaching to God. How hard would that be, man? You're doing everything right. You're thrown in jail. You're like, man, what else do I got to do? And I love you read the account in Acts. It says they're thrown in jail and they're singing praises in prison at jail. Most likely this time they're being hung upside down by the stocks, literally singing, oh, great, how great is God? And it says the, the doors were flung open. How easy we go, man, look at God's deliverance, but they choose to stay in. Because if you know the rest of the story, there's a guard on the other side. And if they get out and they escape, that guard is going to be killed by the Roman people. And they tell him, says, listen, hey, hey, we'll stay in. And they're able through that situation, witness to that man. It says that man and his whole family came to faith. Listen, we sometimes want delivered out of situations, but God wants us to endure because our faithfulness is a light and a beacon to people who need it. And God has purpose. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, would you deliver me? But what happens when God doesn't deliver? Do you pray something else? God, give me wisdom. Give me endurance. Give me the strength I need. And when we have prayer, we, we tap into something that is beyond us. Understand that. But like, understand this. In, in prayer, we enlist the aid and ear of a sovereign God. That means he has the final authority over all things. When we tap into the ear and the, the aid of an omniscient God, a God who knows all things, he knows all the outcomes, he knows everything that's coming, an omnipotent God, a God that is all-powerful, who created everything with just a few words. And with just a few words, he can edify my heart and help me get through that. And so here's the thing. When you feel hopeless, when you're suffering, what do you do? You pray. You pray. God, get me out of this. That's okay, but sometimes it needs God, help me get through this. Help me sustain, endure. Because according to James, God says this, when you come and ask for wisdom on how to do that, God will give it to you. But you've but you got to trust him. You've got to believe him. You've got to know, even in this difficult situation, God is still good, and he's got you. 
And, and so he starts with that and says, listen, if you're hopeless, pray. But, but then he continues on. It's not just when you're hopeless, but prayer is also when, when you're hopeful. Look what he says. He says, uh, is anyone cheerful? Guess what? He should sing praises. He should sing songs. He should pour out his heart in God in adoration to God. That word cheerful does not mean if life is good and everything's going right. It doesn't mean that. That word cheerful means well in spirit. It means if you have a joyful attitude. It implies feeling comfort in difficult times. Have you ever been in a situation that somehow things are just terrible around you, but somehow you have a peace that is beyond understanding, and I'm able to say, I don't get this why. But somehow I have a comfort through the situation. And I never forget my last church, a lady who had cancer, we found out, and, and the, the odds were not looking good for her. And the whole church was mourning around her, thinking, like, her, her life's over. And, and I just remember her just like, hey, listen, I'm good. <laughs> I don't know if God's going to take me out. God might want me to be faithful in these difficult circumstances, but I, I just can't explain it. I'm good. In those situations, he says, we need to praise. In other words, when James goes back to James chapter 1, verse 2, it, it, it's those people who what, have considered it great joy. When, when they go and look and they find joy in their circumstances, regardless of what is expectation, guess what? You praise God because there is a powerful testimony of that. Can I tell you, when Pat Jenkins said that to us, there was something that convicted my heart. It says, man, how petty am I to grow fits? Man, God, I know you're still good even in difficult circumstances. And too often, listen, let's be honest, we don't give God praise when we have those situations in our life. And so all we hear is people moaning about how difficult, how, and listen, it's okay to talk to God, but we need to hear the goodness of God too. Now, now here, here's the problem I have when I'm reading this. I mean, I like to be devil's advocate and be super cynical. I, I ask this, how do I be joyful in suffering? How do I like, oh, yeah, good, thanks, God, appreciate that. Like, I really want to give, give me another. You know, how, how do I do, do I just fake it till I make it? Is that what it is? Do I put on a smiley face and pretend like everything's great when inside I'm being torn up when I'm suffering? No, you go back, you, you go to God and you pray for wisdom. You pray for that. When God gives it to you, you lead your heart into that. That, that word consider in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says consider it joy. It means this, it means to regard, it means to consider, but it also means this, it means to lead. Uh, he's saying this ultimately, listen, joy is a choice that we find and we lead ourselves into. In other words, when we go to God and God, I need strength and courage. And when God gives you the light to the tunnel, listen, you begin to walk in that way and say, God, I see something good here. Let me illustrate like this. Uh, my kids, I love them to death, but they, they, they take a little bit after me, okay? I'm a negative person. I, I can always find you say, how, how are you doing? Well, the weather could be better, you know? Like, I mean, I'm always, I'm, I'm, I'm almost to a fault like that. And so we get in the car after most days, and we get in there, and I say, how, how was the day? And my, my youngest daughter, she is a spitting replica of me and in so many ways. It's not even funny. And I'll say, how was today? And she, I was like, was it a good day? No, we didn't get to eat at recess. We didn't get to do this and just start all sorts of stuff. And, and so when I found my daughter, I have to get in the car, and I have to say this. All right, hey, I want you to tell me about your day, but you have to give me two positives before you give me a single negative. And she sits there and is like, well, I got to play with Calby today. And I got extra recess. I'm like, dude, that sounds like a wicked awesome day right there. You know what I mean? And listen, here's what happens. Every time we do that, by the time she gets that, she forgets about the negative. That, that, that's called leading our heart in the way that says, where is God's goodness in the situation? Can I, can I just say this to you? Listen, praise acknowledges God's grace and sovereignty in every situation. And, and just understand this. In every situation, I don't care where you're at, and this is hard to wrap your mind, there is a good. 
You, you say, you don't understand. How can it possibly be? I, I can't tell you every way, but I know what Scripture says. Matthew 19, 26 says, listen, with God, all things are possible. Romans 8, 28, listen to this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love them, who have been called according to his purpose. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Yet God has good in every situation. And God and his divine purpose works everything out and everyone who walks according to his purpose to accomplish his purpose and will. And there is purpose. My suffering is not for nothing. And because of that, some people can come to the end of their life and have cancer and sit there and go, listen, it's good. It, 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 it blows me away. I think of the situation with Joseph in the Bible. If you don't know, Joseph is a guy who was sold by his brothers into slavery because his dad loved him more, the youngest brunt in the family. He lives his life right and, and makes his way up out of jail, just to get accused of having an inappropriate affair with the highest percent, gets thrown back in jail. Eventually, God leads him out again, and he comes up to be the second most important in, the, in Egypt under Pharaoh, and Pharaoh puts him in responsibility and saves entire nation from famine. And he comes to the end of his life, and he has his brothers who have harmed him, who have done all this stuff, who are now almost peasants in front of him, and he says this, listen, he says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Listen, I, I reiterate this over and over again. Listen, we praise God when things are being hopeful. Why? Because we believe in any situation there's something good God can do with this, even the worst possible situation. And when you see that glimmer of light, that hope, when you begin to see the possibility of God's goodness, even when you can't wrap your mind around it, you know what you do? You praise God for it. Because the more I sing praises, the more my heart leads to it, and the more I say, you know what? My God is good. My God is good. And so we pray for when we're hopeless. We, we pray for when we're hopeful. But then verse 14 through 16, he, he talks about we, you pray for when you're weak. Pray when you're weak, he says. You see in verse 14, he talks about being weak physically. He says, is anyone among you, talking about the body of Christ, the, the fellowship, anyone among you sick? It says he should call the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. When we're physically weak, listen, listen, we pray to God. Can I tell you something? God cares about your practical needs. He cares about your practical needs. He's not just a spiritual realm, like, I don't care. Live your life. Get over it. Suck it up. Like, he cares. As a matter of fact, you see, over and over in Jesus' ministry, he spends time just caring for people's practical and physical needs. Listen to this in Matthew chapter 59, verse 29 through 32. Listen. It says, moving on from there, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He went up on a mountain and sat there. And listen, a large crowd came to him, including the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, and many others. They put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd was amazed when they saw those unable to speak talking, and the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind sing, and they gave glory to God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples and said this, I have compassion on the crowd. Why? Listen, because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want them to send them away hungry. Otherwise, I might collapse on the way. He cares about their sin. He cares about their hunger. And soon after this, he feeds 4,000 people with a Big Mac and a thing of fries. Not really, but something to that nature. Not very much. Listen, God cares about your physical needs. 
He's not the God that says, just suck it up and get over it. So he says, listen, if you're struggling, bring in the elders to pray and have them anoint you with oil. And if you're worrying what anointing with oil, let me give you some different interpretations of what that means. Because you need to bust out the olive oil in the back of grandma's cabinet and bust that out and do something cool with it, right? There's a couple different interpretations. Some might believe it's medicinal purposes. This is back pre when you have medicine is coming as far along as it has nowadays. And there are different types of oils and stuff that actually did care and help provide for the body. Well, one well-known preacher named James Vern McGee actually ascribes to that. And he talks about how, listen, there's medicinal purposes. I, I'm going to say this. Listen, we need to come to God in prayer of faith. But listen, there's nothing wrong with taking medicine. That is why God has blessed our society. And God has given wisdom to people to bring us to a place to be able to care for us in those things. And so that's one interpretation of how it might be for medicinal purposes. But, but there's another interpretation that many use for us is it's a symbolic gesture. All throughout the Old Testament, when God anoints, when God consecrates someone, Lord, they use oils away just to symbolize it. This is my chosen. This, this, they're covered. Their presence is covered with me. It's about being focused and covering the person who is anointed. And you're like, that's a weird symbolic gesture. Can I tell you something? We have tons of weird symbolic gestures because we're symbolic people. Have you ever thought about why for birthdays you put a candle on it and light it on fire? That's weird. And then you say, blow it out, and the kids spit all over and stuff like that. Like, I'm good. I don't want any. Or why for Christmas we put, like, lights on a dead tree and light it up and say, how beautiful, and put other ornaments. Like, we are symbolic people. God is a symbolic God. Go read through stuff. God blesses those who in faith do these sort of things. I don't think the point is the oil or anything. I think the point is that it's God that's doing it, and we focus attention and trust in him. God is bringing something about. And so he says, listen, go get the elders and have them come pray for you. Elders are leaders of the church. And at our church, we have four elders who come and, and come and do that sort of thing. Now, now, the question comes is, do the elders have special power? They've got some sort of mystic wisdom, you know, level nine warlord, something going on in them. Like, no, it's none of that. But you read verse 15, it's nothing about the elders in themselves, because who does it? It's the Lord that raises him up. It's not the elders. As a matter of fact, he even reiterates this when he uses an illustration of Elijah, verse 17 through 18. Elijah is a prophet of the Old Testament who went and did Marek's thing. If you ever remember about Mount Carmel, he stands up and has this huge battle, battle with the Baal worshippers and stuff like that. He's alluding to Elijah. He says this in verse 17 through 18. He said, Elijah was a human being just as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and land produces fruit. I think it's interesting. You go back, he says this. Uh, he said, Elijah was a human being just like you and me. Go, go read 1 Kings 17 and 18. It is such a cool account where God uses Elijah to come and bring his judgment. Says, "Listen, I'm, okay, it's time. It's time. I'm going to bring my judgment to people who have forsaken me." And he dries up the land. Elijah, just an ordinary man, prays. He he stops the heavens and says, "God, let there be no more rain." And for three years, it doesn't rain. And later on, in verse 17, he comes. Chapter 17, he comes up to a widow who's literally making her last meal for her and her children to die. And he says, "Can I have some food?" <laughs> Imagine the situation. They can't have any food. And she's like, I'm about to die. And literally her son dies, and Elijah prays without any prompting from God, says, God, save this child, and prayed and prayed, and the man came back to, I mean, just to make account about his prayer. But the point Elijah is this, Elijah is this. James brings into account Elijah to show this, that anyone can do it. What's he saying there? He says, Elijah is a human being just as we are. In other words, he's normal. There's nothing special about him. 
As a matter of fact, if you go read through the Old Testament, 1 Kings 17, 11, you see the Bible records that Elijah faced hunger. He was afraid. He even dealt with depression after God did amazing things in his life. He's just like you and me. He was a typical dude, as you would say. And yet, as accounted in 1 Kings 17, Elijah prayed earnestly and God answered in private and provided. What made Elijah great isn't what he did, but what God did through him. The point is this, praying with power isn't some, like I said, master wizard level you have to reach. Level up, bro, nothing like that. It's just earnest prayers from earnest people. And so the question comes back, well, why elders? Why does James say elders here? Well, in Scripture we know elders, according to Scripture, are supposed to be dedicated to prayer and teaching. They're to care for a flock, the people of their congregation, and should be caring for them. They're people you should hope that would care enough for you that will pray over you. In other words, when weak, defeated sheep, they, they can go to draw strength from them when they need encouragement. Verse 16 even says this, says, a prayer of a righteous person will be heard. I kind of joke all the time, like, hey, you get what you get here. Like, I'm not, not much righteous in it, no, I'm just kidding. But he, he says this, he says, listen, when you pray those people of righteousness, man, they, 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 God will listen. Understand this, elders aren't perfect, but should be pursuing and hunger for righteousness. There should be that aspect in our lives. So why do righteous people have power? Well, listen to Isaiah 59.2. says this. It says, but in your iniquities have separated you from God. You see, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. In other words, if we sin and we refuse to pursue God, refuse, like God won't listen to us. Isaiah 1.15-16 says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, God says, I'll hide my face from you. Even you offer me many prayers. I'm not listening, he says. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourself clean. In other words, repent. Take your evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong. Micah 3.4 says, Then they will cry out to the Lord, and he will not answer them. See, at that time, he will hide his face from them. Because why? Because of the evil they've done. Listen, when we have unrepentant sin, God's not going to listen. God doesn't simply pretend like it didn't happen. I can't help but think of my wife and I when we get in fights. It happens probably more than we'd like to own up to. We're, we're different times. I'm the fight, she's the flight person. So early on in marriage, when we get upset and stuff like that, we'd, something would come up. I'm like, let's battle this out right now. And she goes, I need five minutes. And she'd run off. And I'd sit there, I'm going to give her some time. I'm going to sit there and just, and, and while she's gone out there just processing, and, and, and literally in an hour, it just goes away. It just magically goes away. That hour, I've been stewing. I'm twice, I'm more justified. Like, I've thought about this. I'm right. I'm right. I can bring it. Bring it. And she'll come back in the room. She goes, what do you want for dinner? I'm like, we're not talking about dinner. We're dealing with this right now. It didn't, hasn't worked out well for us at times. I can't imagine either, Debbie. Uh, pray for me. I need help. Um, li- listen, I- I'm saying this in the same way. God just doesn't sweep under the rug and pretend like it didn't happen. Like you've sinned. Like understand this: our sins separate us from God. Some of us, unbeknownst that we're doing it, and until we come and repent, God's like, listen, we we, we got to deal with this. And so righteous people are not people that are perfect, people who are pursuing God and saying, listen, I, I, I know I'm at fault, but I'm constantly seeking repentance from God. I'm constantly doing this. He says their prayers will be heard. Why? Because they're trying to stay in right standing with God. And so when we're weak physically, call your elders, ask them to come and pray for you. And it says what? It says that they, they will, 
I lost my spot, so it might help if you know what's going on, Eric. Verse 15, it says, we'll have a sick prayer. The Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. The prayer of faith will raise him up. Don't, don't make a mistake about this. I really struggle with this. Does this mean that when we pray and we're sick, God will actually heal us every time? It seems to imply that, but you read it as scripture, we know that's not true. At times, God does heal us from sickness, and at times, he doesn't. And the reason it comes back to, and you've got to remind ourselves, is we live in a fallen world, and there are consequences to fallen decisions, and some of them are your fault, and some of them are not. And if God acted every time and healed us in a miraculous way, listen, at some point, we wouldn't be attracted to God. We'd be attracted to the miracles of God. We wouldn't care about the message. We'd just care about the miracles. God, to be God and allow free will to happen means there's consequences from choices, and even choices you didn't make. And so when we pray for healing and sickness, sometimes it is deliverance and healing, but sometimes it's the same thing I just talked about. It's the courage and strength to persevere. I don't know why, as Paul said, you haven't taken this thorn from my side, but I know you've given me the grace to endure. And so when you're sick, come to God. When you're sick, weak physically, or even, as he talks about the next part, when you're weak spiritually, what do you do? You come to God. He says, I love, he says, if this person has committed sins, he will be forgiven. It's not always true, but sometimes Scripture shows that when we sin, there is sickness that comes in place for that. And if there's sins that I've harbored and refused to get, like God will heal us of the total body, heart, mind, and soul, all of it. And so he says in verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. When you feel weak spiritually, like I just feel worthless and I feel like i got sin in my life, listen, you pray. God doesn't listen to people that won't repent, but when you come to God and say, God, I'm sorry, God is all ears and he's all there. Make no mistake about this. Listen, while God cares about our bodies, Jesus died for our souls. He died for your salvation. He died that you could come into relationship with him. And understand this, there, there's no greater sickness or cancer in life than sin. There's nothing that spreads worse than that. And there's only one remedy, and it's through Jesus Christ. It's what he did on the cross. It's for you to come to point and repent and say, listen, I've tried to do it my life long enough, but I can't. I realize I'm not good enough. A lot of us try to fill that void that God has placed in us with other things, with, with wealth, with, with accolades, with, with being acceptance, all the sorts of stuff. Maybe you look for pornography or other aspects to fill that void, and the reality is it's God alone that can fill it. And when you fall into that rut, we say, well, I'm going to fix it myself. And you find out like, you can only do it so much before you collapse again under that weak table, isn't it? At some point, you have to come realize, listen, my sins have separated me from God. And God's not a careless God that hates us so much, he says, you know what, you really stink at this, I'm, I'm going to smite thee. No, instead, what does he do? He sent his son to die on the cross for our sin to pave a way to pay a price. And if you come and repent and acknowledge, listen, my sins have done this. And I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, for me. And if I simply believe in that and trust in that, that he paved my way, and I submit my life to that, listen, scripturally speaking, you will be saved. Plain and simple. So Jesus. So James says here, listen, confess your sins to one another, and you'll be healed. Well, some of you, that terrifies you. I have no problem talking to Jesus, but I ain't talking to Grant about my sins. <laughs> I ain't talking to this person about my sins. What will they think of me? Why do we have to confess sins to another? Because there's healing whenever we stop letting our secrets be secrets anymore. And maybe you've been burned by the church. Maybe you've been wounded by Christian people. Can I say this real quick? Look, the church is meant to be here for you. It's meant to support, celebrate, and protect the body and meant to help you. 
That's, that's why he ends at the end with what? Look what he says. It's my brother and sisters. If any of you strays from the truth, among you strays from Jews, and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul and death and cover a multitude of sins. This is what the church is about. Saving people. Not about looking good and being perfect. It's understanding that like, we're all imperfect and we need help. I need the encouragement. I need the support. And at church, you should find that and we should be about that. We're called to support because we're called to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2, we're called to celebrate. We're called to celebrate reconciled people who come back and get saved, man. That should be a true cell. Listen, my brother here was struggling with sin, but God has saved him. I'm no better than him or anything, but man, look what God has done. The prodigal son, what does he do? He throws a party for him like none other when he comes back. We're called to protect, too. We're called to protect the sanctity of the church, the seriousness of our sins, so that believers don't get lulled into the idea that this is okay. Understand this, the church is God's glory on earth. If people come see church, they should see something different. Not perfect people, but a perfect God. And we look the other way and act like this sin infection is okay. Guess what? Other people are loading the idea of, I guess that's okay. We're called to that. The church's goal is reconciling restoration. That's what it's about. And so listen, prayer is for when you're, when you're hopeless. Prayer is when you're hopeful. I find that. Prayer is when you're weak but both physically and spiritually. You pray. As I said, prayer is our best response in every situation. Every situation. And what I love most about this text, which is lost nowadays in our culture, is this. Notice this. When we're weak, both spiritually and physically, what? Prayer becomes communal. We bring other people in to help us. Like, your, your faith was never meant to be your own. It was meant to be shared with others. It was meant to be celebrated with others. Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, guess what? There I am also. Christianity is a family affair. And grant my brothers over here living in sin, my heart is to restore him. If he's weak spiritually, he's weak physically, guess what? My heart is to help him and encourage him. And if he continues that, my job and hunger is to correct him because I know the path he's going is not good. And church should be about that. It's a place we should pray. But the reality is we come in acting like everything's fine, don't we? I got my stuff together. We pray petty prayers. We pray petty things. Listen, everything should be brought to God. And, and so here, here's how we're going to close this service right now. Because I truly believe in this. We're, we're, we're going to pray. Because guess what? Every opportunity is a time to pray. And, and so I've asked the elders, listen, this is what we're going to do. The elders are going to come forward. I'm going to offer that. We're going to have a time. If you're a guest, this may be weird to you. I encourage you to just give it a try. Right now, just sit in your seat and just pray to God. God, talk to him. I'm telling you now, start right now. If you've got any unrepentant sin, man, talk to God. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I'm telling you now, I struggle. It's okay. God still shows his love and favor for you. So the elders are going to be available. Their wives hopefully will be available. And I encourage you, listen, to come up. You need them to pray for you. Let them pray over you. I'm going to ask you to pray where you're at. Maybe you need to come to the front. Maybe you need to get on your knees in your seat, whatever it is. Maybe here in a minute I'm going to ask some of you, if you're willing to raise your hand where you're at and say, listen, I need prayer, I'm going to ask people around you, just gather around you as a body of Christ and begin praying for that person. You can share what it is or not, but listen, I believe there's power in prayer. And we're going to do that. And so I'm going to ask that you do that. As the elders come forward, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. If you want to get up and come forward and pray up here, come do that. If you want elders to pray over you because you need prayer and encouragement for any of those things, listen, come up to one of these men and women and have them pray for you.
But there's, there's power in praying together. And so, so you do that right now, whatever you need to do. You, you spend a second, bow on your heads, close your eyes and pray. If you've got your family and you want to draw them together, so let's pray together, you do that. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whatever, you, you do that if you want to. Spend a second praying. As you guys continue to pray, if you're one of those people I'm talking about that are feeling weak and you're struggling right now just to make it through the day, whatever it is, I'm going to encourage you and plead with you to get up and come to one of these. JD and Amy over here, you got Bradley in the back. Come, come let them pray over you. Draw strength from that. this you keep continue to pray. I'm going to ask this. If you're just sitting where you're at and you just want people around you, your section, wherever you're at right now to pray for you, would you just raise your hand? You don't have to say what it is. You can share with them if you want, but if you, if you want that right now, people around you, you know, I trust in our body of Christ, we'll do that. You raise your hand right now and say, I just need people to pray for me right here around me. Don't be bashful. Raise your hand high. sit there and pray. I, I know it's so so hard in a context like this. In Deer Creek, America, we're supposed to have it all together. <laughs> if someone knew that I was less than perfect or I'm just dealing with stuff right now. I encourage you let people love on you. Christ could have stayed and continued himself, but he empowered his people to do that. You say, man, I just don't know where God's at, man. God's, God's all around you right now. Through the believers, through his people. My last invitation, if you need someone to pray with you, you raise your hand or you come to one of the elders, my wife's.
Maybe you're one of those people in the sound of my voice that you, you've never, you're weak spiritually because you've never given your faith and love and heart to Jesus Christ. You continue trying to fix your own problems, pave your own ways. Listen, that's a long, miserable road. Your sins have separated you from God, but God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son. He paved the way so that you could earn salvation through him. Nothing you can do. And there's so much freedom and joy when you come and repent and you believe and you submit to that and find the truth, freedom in Jesus Christ. If I'm talking to you, you need at the end of the service find one of us elders and say, listen, I just, would you just walk me through what it looks like to pray to receive Christ? We'd love to do that for you. Maybe you want to ask more questions. I'm going to pray to lead us into worship. And after I'm done praying, if you still need a second to sit where you are and just, just spend time with the Lord, listen, do it. Worship is coming to God and giving him the praise and glory that he deserves and just acknowledging he's God. And you do that through prayer, you do that through singing, you do that through studying the word. It's all praise. So you do that. So as I pray, you respond however you need as we turn into a time of worship. Father God, God, I love you and I thank you for your goodness, for your grace. God, I know myself, I've come out of a season just of, man, weakness in my own life where I've just struggled. I thank you for the graces that sustained me. You've helped me to see just even the past few weeks, I hope, and I thank you for that. I needed that, God. God, I pray you continue to give me strength to endure the next several weeks, the next few months, Add any of the things I need to do in my life. Give me guidance. Give me peace to sustain. I just thank you for that. I pray for those in the sound of my voice that need encouragement. God, I pray they continue to turn to the church and find that. I pray we'd love one another so much that we'd bring our burdens, we'd bring our sins, we'd bring our praises to each other so that we can share and encourage and hope. God, I pray us as elders we get inundated with phone calls and requests for prayers. We love this congregation. We want to see them thrive in you. Encourage us, guide us, direct us. God, help us to turn to you first. I love you so much. I thank you for the truth and the challenges of James that brought to us. I pray that we take it and apply it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you need to continue to pray, I encourage you to do that. Elders will still be available. We would love to continue to pray for you. We'll be available up here in the back. We're going to worship now. And so uh, the band's going to lead us. And if you want to, you stand and sing. If you need to pray, you do what you need to do. But just be faithful to that.